two talking about Rosh Hashanah. Yes, I'm going to mute everyone. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, there we go. Okay, so to start off, so the, the topic I wanted to talk about was really, it's a Rosh Hashanah related, but it's just the, the specifically the various customs that we have to uh, eat on, on the Rosh Hashanah night. Um, and that's the apple and the honey, which I said we'll sing, and we'll sing that together with everyone on mute, I guess, including me. <laughs> um, and the pomegranate and the dates and the, the uh, fish head and everything like that. But let's first start off with the following important story to put things into context. There was a fellow in an old town, in an old shtetl back in the old country, who was a balagola. He was a wagon driver. Baruch Hashem, he had parnasa. He, he was able to support his family, but very modestly, never really indulging in the, uh, I guess you could call the, 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 uh, the trappings of life, really. He would have a piece of bread. You have milk. I have what to eat. Good, I'm happy. But he never really had a geshmaka duck or a geshmaka steak. Shmaka, piece, piece of chicken, um, except on the small occasions. But one time, he was actually hired out to bring the Puritz, who was the landowner of the neighboring uh, township, shall we say, to bring him on a journey of about a day's drive, maybe a half a day, day back and forth, um, to go to a certain town. And he was very excited. You know, especially, imagine being a taxi driver, you get a fare, to have the whole day covered, that's a very successful day. And he was very excited, and he takes the Paritz on the journey. Paritz doesn't really talk to him much because he's a, he's a Jew, after all. We don't really talk to a lowly Jew. Fine, the Balagola, the wagon driver, is happy. He's making a Parnassa for today. They get to the town, and the wagon driver turns to the Paritz, and he says, where would you like to go before we head out back home? And the parts said, you know, pointed out to him exactly where to go on a certain street. And he went into a little, uh, I guess you call it a little store, storefront of sorts. The parts goes in and the balagola, the wagon driver, is waiting outside for about a half hour. And then the parts comes out holding a little cage. And in the cage is a little bird. And uh, the wagon driver says, okay, uh, is that it? And the pirate says, yeah, let's head back home. The wagon driver is quite surprised. I mean, we came here very far away to get something. Well, what is this bird? So uh, the wagon driver builds up the courage, and he turns to the pirates, and he says, excuse me for asking, but what, what is that? What is that bird? And he said, it's called a Zamir. Zamir, he didn't say it's called a Zamir, but that's the way you say it in Hebrew. It's called a... Um, in, if, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, and I'm sure you'll correct me. A nightingale. Is that the right way to pronounce it? A nightingale. And the guy, the Balagala, thinks, okay, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. You're spending the whole day to go get a nightingale. Anyways, fine. That's what the parts is allowed to do what he wants to do. The wagon driver drives home, drops the parts off, and he comes to his wife, and he says, when he comes back home, they're eating supper, and he says to her, you know, Baruch Hashem, we have Parnosa. Baruch Hashem, we're able to support our family. We never really get to indulge in, you know, specialty items. We're getting on in years now. Our 
you know, no one, none of the children in the house anymore. What do you say? I asked the pirates how much it costs. He said it cost a hundred ruble. There's this bird called a nightingale. Why did he get such a bird? He traveled so far to choose out his own personal nightingale. It must be that it's a unique flavor and, and taste that is something that's worthwhile. What do you say that we indulge and take the hundred dollars, a hundred ruble from our savings, and then my next time I'm, I'm in that town, I'll pick up a nightingale and we'll have a feast. She thinks about it, she says, you know what, you're right. You work so hard, you deserve it. Anyways, a couple weeks later, the wagon driver is back in that town and he brought a hundred ruble with him. He goes into the store, he picks one out and he brings it home and he presents it to his wife. He says, ah, this is so exciting. What, are you gonna, what should we make with this? And they're going back and forth with the cookbooks and recipes and what should they do? Finally, they decide, you know what? They're going to take half of the bird and make it into like a, you know, grilled chicken, grilled uh, nightingale. And the other half of the bird, they're going to make into a soup to, you know, spread the flavor throughout the soup. He is, I mean, he is on, he is in seventh heaven, cloud nine. He is so excited for supper. Finally, she prepares it and he pre she presents it to him, this beautiful piece of grilled um, nightingale. He makes a shahakal with such fervor, he's so excited, and he takes his fork and he puts the, night, the, chick, the bird into his mouth, takes a bite, and he can't even chew the whole bite. He spits it out. Ugh, this is disgusting. Okay, you know what, the soup. Maybe it's not supposed to be grilled. Maybe it took away the flavor that, you know, all the, made it too dry. Who knows, let me try the soup. She brings out the soup, puts it in his mouth, a spoonful of soup, and it's even worse than the grilled nightingale. And he is just devastated. He was looking forward to this. He took a hundred ruble of savings and he just cannot live with himself. How is it possible that for him, what did he do wrong? The next day, he goes to the Pirates' house and he says, I just have one very quick question for the Pirates. And they let him into the Pirates and he turns to the Pirates and he says, I don't understand. You spent an entire day with me traveling to that town. You spent a hundred ruble on a little bird. And I expected that it's going to be the taste of Gan Eden. And I went out on a limb and I bought it for myself to try it, to indulge. And it tastes horrible. What's the shot? Why'd you do that? He asked the parrots. And the parrots looks at him and he says, are you out of your mind? You went and you bought a nightingale all the way in that town? He said, yeah. And you paid a hundred ruble for it? Yeah. And you killed it? You cooked it? You made it into a soup? You're crazy. A nightingale is supposed to regale you with singing. It sings beautifully. What are you killing it for? What are you, you're taking the purpose of this bird and then you're killing it? Unfortunately, although maybe I have never seen a nightingale, I've never heard a nightingale, but every year on Rosh Hashanah, we are presented, have you? Somebody, did anyone? I never, I mean, I never, you, of course. Anyways, so, so, uh, but we are presented every year with the same opportunity that this wagon driver had when he bought the nightingale. What's that opportunity? 
Well, not that we're going to have it that simonim. But this is the way it is with every Yom Tov, basically. Rosh Hashanah, we're presented with an opportunity. And what's the opportunity? You dip the apple in the honey, make a bracha loud and clear. We have the pomegranate. We have the dates. We have the fish head. We have the carrots. We have the black-eyed peas. If you're really machmir, you have the half a raisin and the celery. But is that what it's all about? Or is the purpose of eating those simonim, eating those special items, the main purpose is what we say before and after, depending on your custom, we eat it. When we say, and it should be your will, Hashem, that yikarsu soinenu, our enemies should be cut off. That's the purpose. Yihiratzen, it should be your will, Hashem, that we should have many merits. Yihiratzen, it should be your will, Hashem, that we should be a head and not a tail. That's the main thing. It's not the eating of the fish head. It's not the looking at the fish head. It's not the eating of the carrots. The eating of the carrots and the eating of the pomegranates and the eating of the dates and everything else, those are great. But that's not the purpose of it. It's like eating the bird. The singing of the Yihirotzen and begging Hashem for all the blessings that we're asking for, that is the real secret behind the Simonim. It's not the taste of the pomegranate. It's the blessing and the prayer that goes along with it. So that is, number one, just to lay the groundwork for getting into what we're doing when we eat all these items. And in fact, the Gemara says, that, that now that we say simona milsihi, when we make a sign for something, milsihi, it's considered something, therefore we eat all of these items. But obviously, it's not like abracadabra, cadabra do. It's not just a, a uh, saying of these spooky words that all of a sudden brings the bracha. It's understanding what we're saying and having the concentration and in mind what we're trying to convey to ourselves, the understanding that ultimately it's all in Hashem's hands. Let's start right over here. I'm going to share my screen again. We are going to go right over here. Okay. This, I got my handy-dandy NCSY, Rosh Hashanah Simonim. Okay? The first one we're going to talk about is the, the simon of the apple and the honey. The apple and the honey, which for some reason, that takes front and center. There is a song to it, and it is delicious, but there's a lot more within it. The first thing, and the reason why, in fact, I'll tell you an interesting fun fact. According to many opinions, even though, generally, when you have two fruits in front of you, one fruit comes from the seven species that Eretz Yisrael was blessed with, and one fruit is not, you're supposed to make the bracha and say the blessing over the fruit which comes from the seven species. That is generally the halacha. Now, it's very detailed, we're not getting into all the variables. That's not always the case. But generally, that's the case. On Rosh Hashanah night, according to many opinions, even though on this night we're going to eat the pomegranate, 
which is one of the seven species that the Torah praises Eretz Yisrael about. And we're going to eat the dates, which are also one of the species that Eretz Yisrael was praised about. Nevertheless, many have the custom to first make the, to make the bracha and the blessing. The first thing to eat is the apple and the honey. And the reason for that is quite simple. What are we saying? When we, before we eat the apple, we make a bayar priha eats because it's not a main part of the suda, it's not a main part of the meal, it's like a special dessert. And therefore we make a, a brach on it and it's not covered by the bread, by the challah. What's the yihi What prayer do we say? Yihi Hashem May be your will, Hashem, our God and the God of our forefathers. Shetechadesh aleinu shonatoiva umesuka that you renew for us a good and sweet year. That is, the, that is something which includes everything else that we're going to say tonight. We're going to talk about the pomegranate to have the many merits. We're going to talk about the carrots, which is also for many merits. And we're going to say that our, our adversaries should be removed. Our enemies should be destroyed. Our adversaries should be consumed. We should be fruitful and multiplied like fish. The decree of our sentence should be torn asunder and may our merits be proclaimed before you and that we may, may we be as a head and not as a tail. Those are all included in to have a Shana Taiva Umesuka, a sweet new year because it's all sweetness. But why specifically? Why specifically in apple? There are many fruits that are sweet. Why is it an apple and honey specifically that we're supposed to dip into, that we're supposed to use for this blood? Why don't we take a pear? Why don't we take a different kind of fruit? Yeah, a citrus fruit will be difficult to do, and it might be too sour. But there's many fruits that we could use. Why specifically an apple? And the answer is because it says in the Pasuk, in Shir Hashirim, in Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech says, Kitapuach ba'atzei hayar. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, Cain doidi bein habanim. So is my beloved among the sons. That is how we are described. We, the Jewish people, are described as an apple tree among the trees of the forest. And because we're described as an apple tree in the forest, therefore we specifically use an apple to dip into the honey to symbolize the sweet new year. Now, what does this mean that we're an apple tree among the trees of the forest? What's unique about an apple tree? Are there any botanists in the room? Anyone that knows their plants or knows their trees? When they bloom? Yes, that's right. What's, what's, explain it a little bit for us. <laughs> the leaves first before the fruit or the fruit first? The fruits the first before the leaves, the, mm -hmm. before the flowers. Right? I was gonna, Les was a flower child. Does that help? <laughs> I, I am under the impression that the apple trees, the fruits flower or fruits come out before the flowers, different than every other tree. That is Klal We said, Nas said before Nishma, we said, Hashem, we will do and we will hear. First we'll do we're going to listen and follow instructions, and then we'll hear it. That is why the Jewish people are compared to an apple tree. 
And because we're compared to an apple tree, therefore we specifically take the apple and we say, Hashem, remember us. Remember what we did for you, so to speak. In the days of old that we said, Na'asev and Nishma, and it's that merit which will be dipped into the honey. And Hashem will remember and say, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a sweet new year. And in fact, in fact, Devash also has a special significance. Others wanted to say that Devash is actually an acronym. Devash means honey, but it's an acronym for die, it is enough, bimashayesh, with that which you have. The dalit, this first dalit, and the base and the mm-hmm. shin, that's Devash. Right. That's honey, because honey, as we said in other weeks, honey and sweetness is not based on what I do have, it's based on what I understand, that what I have is enough. And what I have is good, and what I have is enjoyable and sweet. That's why we take it, take the apple. We take our nasev and nishma that we do, and then we hear. And we dip that into the sweetness of the honey. What kind of dvash, the honey, the sweetness of whatever I have is enough and is sweet to me. But there's another question that has to be understood. And that is, if you know, you recall... We know that Eretz Yisrael is referred to as a land of milk and honey. Have right? a point. What was that? Is that toes compared to honey, correct? That's right. We're going to get to that in a minute, Nelson. Listen, we're going to get to that in a minute. The Eretz Yisrael is a land of milk and honey. What kind of honey is it a land of? It's a land of milk and honey of date honey. Date the honey. land where the milk, the goats are going to be so overflowing, the milk is going to flow from their udders. And the honey is from the dates, the sweetness of honey. If that, and that's the way in general, when the Torah talks about honey, it's referring to date honey, which I believe is called silan, right? You could still buy it in, uh, it's called silan, I believe. If anyone likes Svardi food, silan is a primary ingredient instead of honey. In fact, if you want to make lachmajin, you have to use silan and not honey. But anyways, bottom line is, why is it that the, our custom is to take the apple and dip it into bees' honey? Why don't we use the ultimate honey to which the Torah describes as sweet as honey, meaning date honey? Does anyone use date honey? No. We use clover honey and all the different kinds. It can be mixed mixed um, flower honey. But the bottom line is, it's bee honey. It's not um, date honey. Yeah. I got confused a little bit. My, one of my, my, mother's fav- my mother grew up in a house of a rabbi, a big rabbi, Rabbi Kamenetsky. And, but one of her, she, I remember one time we went to a, books, a shoe store. And in the corner, they had like a little television. This is, you know, it was just whatever video was playing in there. And they were playing Mary Poppins. And my mother was so excited because that was like her, you know, she didn't have a television growing up, but her friends had, and she used to see Mary Poppins to her was like, you know, Mashiach. I don't know, like, like that's it. So I, I got confused. I was about to do, because just a spoonful of honey. sugar. I thought it was just a spoonful of honey makes the medicine go down. Today, that's what they say, that honey actually has a lot of medicinal benefits. 
So really, it's just a spoonful of honey makes the medicine go down. Could be appropriate over here, but why the bee honey? What's, why not use the, the spitz, the ultimate of the date honey? One of the answers that we can give to this is going to be something that Nissen was alluding to before, but let's say one other answer before. And that is, yes, we're asking for a sweet year. Yes, we know that everything Hashem does is for the good. But yet we're asking for a shana tova umesuka. We're not only asking for a good year, a shana tova, because everything is good. We want a year that's good, but also sweet. Something that also tastes good. But you know what? Many times throughout the year, it's going to be sting like a bee sting. And it's going to be difficult. And most of the time, most of the years, I should say, people go through challenges. That's it. We have different aches and pains and different things that give us heartache. We're asking Hashem, I'm eating the bee honey. The bee does have stings. The bee does hurt sometimes. But you know what? There's a sweetness there that I could still taste the sweetness. Even if I have to endure the difficulties and challenges of the proverbial bee sting, Hashem, lead it, bring it, let me taste the sweetness at the end. Let me feel the sweetness. Let me not only know that it's good, let me taste the sweetness as well. And therefore, as opposed to the date honey, which starts sweet, ends sweet, and is always sweet in between, we're going to use specifically bee honey, because bee does have associations with things that are challenging and difficult. But we're saying, Hashem, even though we have to endure that sometimes, let me feel and taste the sweetness of, and of seeing your ultimate goodness. That is one reason why we use specifically bee honey and not date honey. Another reason is because honey, and I don't, I'm just, this is something which I don't, I haven't um, fact-checked myself about this. So if anyone has any information that I'm, what I'm saying is incorrect, let me know. But I think bee honey, different than date honey, has a certain um, characteristic, which is what we're using it for over here. And that is the following. There's a, the, there's a halacha that a, Bee is not kosher. You're not allowed to eat a bee. But if the, a bee, while in the honeycomb or whatever it is, got stuck into the honey, and part of the honey, the bee, dis, um, disintegrated and became part of the honey, the halacha is you're allowed to eat all of the honey, even the part which obviously was a bee before because that is how powerful and potent honey is that it takes the bee and it turns it into honey. What Nissen was saying was that Torah, we know that Torah is sweeter than honey. We say in Davening on Shabbos and in Tehillim it says it, Torah is misukim midvash, it's sweeter than honey. Because if honey could do that, Torah does even more. And what we're perhaps alluding to when we eat the apple in the honey, that we're saying, Hashem, there is... Um, impurities in us. There's impurities and challenges that we are going through. But not only should I see the sweetness at the end, turn me, make me as sweet as possible in the sense that I should take my impurities and turn it into something sweet and delicious like the honey does.
to the bee itself. Nissen, was that what you were alluding to? Was that what you were alluding to? Nissen? Okay. Either way. Fine. That no, is, no, how, no. no. Uh, I was okay. actually referring to the fact that we're dipping, that when you're dipping the, the apple, dipping into what's compared to honey, and therefore when you're really dipping, classical into enjoying the honey. Oh, very good. That very idea. good. That's into the terror, you mean? That's into what represents the terror. Right. Okay, good. Excellent. Okay, so that is... Whoops, Did you say that again? I didn't quite get that. I didn't, He's I saying that the, since, since the Tyra is compared to honey, uh -huh. which is sweeter than honey, so when we're, when we're taking the apple, which is essentially representing the Jewish people, as we said, because mm -hmm. we're like the apple tree, we're dipping, we're taking the Jewish people and immersing ourselves into Tyra. We're, we're, we're covering ourselves with that which Tyra, which is represented for Tyra. Thank you. Okay, sure. Let's go to one more. Let's go to another one of the simonim. Another one. One second. Another one of the simonim. The signs that we're going to do is Yehiratzaim lefanecha. It should be the will of you, Hashem, our God, that we be as the head and not as the tail. That is how they translate it over here. Shaniya l'roish. We should be a head and not a tail. Now, there's a slight problem with um, this, saying this. Again, what we're basically asking when we see or eat the head of the fish or the head of the sheep is, we should be a head and not a tail. Now, I want to show you something interesting. The Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, this is a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, the Ethics of the Fathers. Rabbi Masya ben Chorosh Oimer, Rabbi Masya, the son of Chorosh, would say, You should always be the first to greet somebody. And better be the tail of a lion. Be a tail to lions rather than a head to foxes. So, what the Mishnah in Pirkeyavas is telling us. Don't necessarily be the head. Be a tail to the lion, better than being the head of the fox. So if the Mishnah is telling us that it's better for us to be the tail of a lion rather than the head of a fox, how can we say, we should be the head and not the tail? Yeah, I may end up being the tail of the lion sometime, but I don't say that specifically. And it sounds like from our prayer over here about being the head is that we want to be the head of something. The head of a fox, I'll take it. But the Mishnah in Pirkei says that it's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. So what's the pshat? What, how are we supposed to understand this prayer? Yehiratzen, that we should be a rosh, a head, and not a tail. Okay, you could unmute yourself and you like, if I'd like to ask someone who is proficient in diktuk, in grammar, or in specifically translating this word, lirosh, the loylazana. What does the word lirosh mean? Head. The rosh part means head. What does the lamed mean? The lamed over here. Isn't that two? 
to the head. Exactly. Lirosh, what we're asking, what we're saying that we want to be, we want to be the head. It's not saying that we want to be the head. No, no, no. We're saying we want to be to the head or for the head. What we're saying is there's a Rosh and there's a Zono. There's a head, there's a higher level spirituality, and then there's the lower level spirituality. There's the animalistic part of our bodies, the animalistic part of the world, the physical part of the world. What the Mishnah and Perkyavis is saying, always be a tail of a lion rather than a head to foxes. That is telling me I should be associated with the lion. Better than be associated with the fox. Even if my job is going to be as the tail, but it's like, imagine I have a wall. And in order to get through the wall, you have to push hard through, right? So if the lion pushes through with its head, guess what's also going to come through? The tail. But the fox has a small face. It's not as powerful as a lion. With the head, it's banging against the wall. It's not going to get through. What we're praying and what we're asking for is Hashem, help us be associated with the head. Not Shaniya Laroj, that we should be as a head. Not that we should be as a head, but rather we should be for the head. We should be in whatever, wherever we are in life, whatever, however we can contribute to the cause, or rather, better yet, be part of the cause, be part of something big. Let us be bar- part of the head and not part of the tale. So this English translation of may it be your will Hashem, our God, and the God of our forefathers, is that we be as the head and not as the tail, that is problematic and that is not the correct understanding. Because the Mishnah in Pirkei says that we should rather be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. And the answer is, like we just said, that what it means is, like Leslie translated, Shaniya Liroish, we should be to the head or for the head and not for the tail. That is what we're asking for. And that is what, and that is why we're eating the head of the fish. That so the question. Yeah. That's second. So to be the, to the head and not to the tail. Right. That's different from what Pirkei says, because Pirkei is saying, if you, it's, it's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. That's correct. So be with the lions rather than the foxes. Exactly. Even, Even if, if only just the tail of exactly. the lion. That's, exactly. That's better. But that's, that's, exactly different right. than what, that's different than what this, this bracha, this um, whatever you want to call it here is. This one? No, 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 no. Back at, right here. Yeah, this thing. So this one. Be, well, so this is, so I'll, I'll, I'll translate it for you. I'll translate it for you in the, in the correct understanding. <laughs> May it be your will, Hashem, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that we be for the head, associated with the head, even as the tail, and not for the tail, and not for the fox. You understand? The fox over here is like the tail. The fox is the tail over here. In the Pirkei Avos. No, no, in this bracha. In this bracha. In this, what we're asking for over here is that we're saying, Hashem, we want to be part of the head, meaning the lion, even if we're going to be the head, the, the uh, tail of the lion, and we don't want to be the tail, meaning the fox, 
even if we're the head of the fox. It's a little confusing because it's using the same terms. But the head and tail over here are not specifically referring to the body parts of a person or of a lion. We're saying we want to be the head, meaning we want to be part of the lion. The lion. The, the exactly. strength of the lion. Exactly. The strength and the and the, on the majesty of the exactly. lion. Exactly. Because the fox is, you know, it has connotations of being tricky and sly. Right. And sneaky. Right. So That's it's much better to be something that is uh, regarded with great strength and power. Oh. And I'll tell you, right, I'll tell you even more than that. The lion re represents Hashem. Uh -huh. Lion is a represent, represents Hashem. In fact, um, aren't there lions on the um, Kisei uh, cover? Yes, there are lions there. There are lions. Some have the custom to put lions on the parochas, which is covers the uh, Sefer yeah. Torah. There are some that dispute that, but there is a concept, and I, I can't describe it to you on Zoom, but basically that the way, if you see a lion crouching, that is the way and the shape of the part of the building of the base on Mikdash. Something is in there like that, and I can't remember exactly Wasn't how Judah it is. Judah a lion? Sorry? Wasn't Judah referred to as a lion? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, and the blessings that he got from his father Yaakov, he was a lion. I'm, I'm not, yeah, yeah. Okay, let us continue to... Uh, let's go to pomegranates. Okay. No, uh, where are we? Here. You hear us say pomegranates. One time, you know, the reason why we eat pomegranates, it says the tefillah, the, the, the prayer that we say with it is, May it be your will, Hashem, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that our merits increase as the seeds of a pomegranate. Right. Now, there are many seeds in the pomegranate, and there are those that say that, in fact, there's actually 613 seeds in the pomegranate. Now, there's a fellow, his name is Shlomo Lagavir. Does anyone know Shlomo Lagavir? Anyone remember that person? He used to live in St. Louis. He lives in Lakewood now. He's a big Talmud Chacham, a big Torah scholar. In fact, he also has a business where he, that's how he supports himself, he has a solar panel business. Okay, he has solar panels. I think he was an engineer or something when he was younger. He was in school before he became religious. And he uses that basically. He, start, he did that for himself. And then a friend asked to help for him to do it. And then basically he turned it into a business. So Shlomo Lagavir was a young man eating at, I think his parents were Russian. And he was eating at my in-law's house for the Rosh Hashanah meal. And my father-in-law was talking about the pomegranate and how there's 613 seeds. And Shlomo Lagavir said to himself, there is no way in the world that there are 613 seeds in the pomegranate. So he counted them. So that night he went home and he cut up a pomegranate and he counted them. And it happens to be that the one that he counted had 613. Mm -hmm. Now we know that most of them don't have. The idea is that there, they, there are many of them, but he happened to count them, and that, it just, it, I'm not, I don't know what happened after, I'm sure he went to this, and he, he was around for a while, but that sparked something within him. But the idea, bottom line is, of why we're eating the pomegranate is because there are many seeds.
Not saying that there's 613 every time, but there are many seats. So the question is like this. We should have many merits. Okay, let me ask you, if I were to ask you, what do I have to do in order to get many merits? What would your response be? Do mitzvahs. Do mitzvahs, exactly. So, uh, um, so if I ask you a question, <laughs> it's like, um, imagine you're teaching and a guy, kid, you know, a student comes up and he says, um, you, know, you know, sir or man, I really, I want to get good grades. I want to like get a good uh, GPA. So, uh, you know, can we take care of that? Your response to him or her would be, well, study hard, get good grades, and you'll get a good GPA. You don't say, yeah, sure, I'll give you a good GPA. You got to work for it. You do right? homework. You've got to put exactly. You got to exactly. Homework you do your homework. You don't, you don't uh, right. So what does it mean? How could we ask Hashem, multiply, our merits should increase as the seeds of a pomegranate. If we do the mitzvahs, our merits will increase. If we don't, they won't increase. How could we ask and have such a prayer to have such a uh, blessing? So the answer is, one of the answers that you could say is like this. Oh, one answer. Let me just give you a simple answer. Simple answer is that as much as we want to, let's say, do chesed and do kindness and be able to, we have to be presented with opportunities. Right. So we're asking Hashem, give us opportunities for us to have the merits. Be able to do a mitzvah. Exactly, and as, as a, it, it is a schus. It is a real schus. It is a real schus. Ultimately, we have to be we have to be zayich. We have to merit for it. Yes, Joel. But Rabbi, the prayers aren't for Hashem; they're for us. So the more we say these things, the more we program ourselves to be aware of the mitzvahs. They have our eyes open for opportunities as we reminding ourselves: this is our goal. This is our goal. This is our. You're hundred percent right, Joel. You're hundred percent right, and it. <laughs> For us to see it, and that's why because Hashem knows what we need, and Hashem knows what we want. Um, but ultimately, in addition to that, there is some aspect of prayer we're asking for it, although you're correct that it is for us to understand that we need Hashem in order and we need His help in order to get there. But mm-hmm. you're, you're correct. I have a point, I have a point, another point. Uh, okay. okay, isn't that asking for the Sion? Isn't that person not supposed to ask for the Sion because of the mitzvah? Yeah. Yeah. If he doesn't do it, isn't could, could, could turn into Navayu potentially? Excellent question. What Nissan is asking is that we know we ask Hashem every day. Do not present us with a test. Don't put us. With, don't present us with a challenge, because we may not overcome it. If we're presented with it, mm-hmm. it's a blessing and an opportunity. But we don't ask for that, and that's true. However, we do ask for opportunities to do mitzvahs and to do good things, not to overcome a test, not to do something negative. But we do ask for things that are positive. That's a good point though. Now, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I always thought that whatever the Rabboni Sha'olam gives us is something that we can handle. So if there's a certain test, um, he gives us this test and he knows already what the outcome's gonna be. He knows if we are capable of doing it or not. And then he watches how we do it. I mean, if somebody says to you, I want you to run around the block and you'll get five mitzvah points. 
and somebody says to me, I want you to run around the block and you'll get 10 mitzvah points. Well, I might be getting twice as many mitzvah points as you, but I'm not going to be able to run around the block. But if Rabonish Olam puts in front of me an opportunity to do this or to do that, you know, choose life or choose whatever, you know, he knows how much of it I can do. So he's not going to give me a mitzvah to do or, or a test to do that's beyond my ability. I may have to stretch. I may, when I, when I walk on my treadmill, I may be like, whoo, I can't hardly walk up the steps to get upstairs so I can sit down for a half an hour. But, you know, I like right. that. Okay, you know, I'll tell you what. There, you brought up a number of points, and maybe, maybe we'll just talk about many of those next week. That's fine. Because okay. I think that they're very important ones, which include about Bahira, the free will, which include mm -hmm. about what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. Yeah. Let, let's put that on hold and we'll, okay. maybe we'll talk about that, some of that next week. Let me just say a quick answer because I, I know that... I don't remember any of that. I will tell you right now, just so you know. So you won't don't, remember it? Don't ask me to, to, to bring the question up okay. again because it's already... Okay, it's all there. It's all gone. Okay, let me just give one quick answer before I let you go. A spark of brilliance, and then it goes. <laughs> um, let me give you one more answer of how we can ask for to have more merits. And the answer is really quite simple. But I'll share it with a story. Ramathisio Solomon said. Ramathisio Solomon said over a story about a very famous person, I don't know who, but a famous person in Eretz Yisrael who grew up non-religious at some point he became religious. He not only became religious, he started a whole network of yeshivas and besiakovs and people learning Torah and doing ches and everything like that. And Rabbi Solomon said he always wondered, what was this guy's story? And the fellow himself said the story. This is what he said. He said, I grew up in the Negev, in the south of Eretz Yisrael. And I wasn't religious. I didn't know anything about religion at all. I didn't know anything about Judaism, which is is, is, is sad, but unfortunately very true, that we are blessed that we know what it means to be Jewish. We know that there's a concept. I have had discussions with people here in St. Louis that grew up in Eretz Yisrael that had no idea what Paro is. Who's Paro? What Paro? Who's King Achashverosh? They had no idea, and it's, it's heartbreaking, because they live in Eretz Yisrael, Hashem's land. Anyways, he said, I grew up in the Negev in the South. I didn't know anything other than physical pleasures and enjoyments. And one day, one year, when I, when I turned 18, it was now legal for me to go to a certain place of enjoyment, but it was all the way in Haifa, in the North. So I got on a bus, and this is going back in the 70s, I believe. I got on a bus, hot bus, no air conditioning, and then I transferred in Tel Aviv to another bus, then I transferred to another bus and I finally got to Haifa. And throughout the entire trip, I was getting so excited. And everything about this place that I'm going to be going to was just, my heart was fluttering. I was just so excited. Finally, we get to Haifa, pull into the station, and I'm, I'm literally walking on clouds, go off of the bus, and I start walking towards the place where I've waited to come to this place because I wasn't old enough. And now I waited a few hours on a hot and sticky bus, three buses, to finally get here. And now I'm right there. And I'm walking down. I'm about a block away. 
And already on the outside of the building, there's pictures depicting what kind of pleasures I'm going to have when I go inside. And as I'm about to go into the building, I see a fellow walking by. He looks religious. I don't know much, but he looked religious. And he walks by, and he's walking by like this, so as not to see the building. And I stop in my tracks, and I say, hold on a second. I finally came of age to be able to come here. I traveled for hours in the hot and sticky buses to come here, and you're walking by with your hands shielding your eyes? That triggered something in my mind that there's got to be something that's even more enjoyable than that, and that he is finding so much more enjoyable and pleasurable that he's going to cover his eyes. And it was because of that that eventually I made a decision to decide what that person was living for, and that's who I became what I am today. Aramatisio Solomon, when hearing that story, said, it's an amazing story, it's a tremendous story, and it's a beautiful story. But what's even more magnificent and wonderful about that story is this fellow who put his hands like this is going to come up to Shemaim after 120. And they're going to welcome him with open arms and says, wow, welcome, welcome. Here, this is your reward for the yeshiva. This is your reward for this kolel. This is your reward for this chesed organization. And he'd be like, excuse me, I think someone, this is some case of, uh, you know, maybe it's ident- ID theft or something, mistaken identity. I-, I mean, I was a very honest in my business, but I, I you know, I had a small business. I, I wasn't, I don't have a yeshiva. And they're going to say to him, oh, Right, we forgot to let you know. Do you remember that Wednesday afternoon at like three o'clock in the afternoon, you were walking down the street in Haifa? Yeah. You remember you went like this because you didn't want to see what was on the building? Yeah. Well, this is the result of all of that. That our merits should increase like a pomegranate, meaning to say that there should be that ripple effect in a positive way when we could do, we could daven, with Kavana. We could see, say something nice. We could do smile at someone. And the ripple effect is unimaginable of what we could accomplish with that. We're not asking only that we should do, of course, we have to do the mitzvahs. But we're asking that our mitzvahs should have their own legs. Our mitzvahs should have their own wings. They should fly. They should flourish. And they should cause even more greatness than we could ever imagine. That is what we're davening for, that our merit should increase the ripple effect, and everything else that could happen as a result of our merits. Hashem should help that this year we should all have a year. You know, Rabbi Greenblatt always says at the end, right before Ne'ilah, he says every year, he says, I, there is no such thing as inertia. Just because someone was, didn't have a Parnassah this year doesn't mean he won't have a Parnassah next year. Just because someone did have a Parnassah this year doesn't mean he will have one next year. So someone was healthy, not healthy. There's no such thing as inertia. And every year he says it, and every year a few people nod their heads. This year, we could all be nodding our head because all of us are realizing that there is no such thing as inertia. And Hashem should help that next year, next year, should be a change from all of this, and we should be able to see each other in person, be able to shake hands, give hugs, enjoy spending time together, that should be the change that we see. I told a friend of mine last week, I said, you know, everyone's counting down in America, at least to the election, the election, the election, 50 days, 100 days, I don't know, whatever, how many days. I said, you have to remember 
The election is happening and the results are being decided this Shabbos and Sunday. It's not in November. It's this week. It's the after show. We just don't know the score yet. You know, it's like you record a baseball game and then you, you want to like, no, it happened already. Okay. Have a wonderful year. Shana Taiva, Umesukla, sweet new year. And um, all the best. Sure.